Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. All right. Hey, guys. Joe McCall here. I'm wearing my fancy uh, professional microphone and headset here. And uh, glad you guys are here. Let me mute this thing. So we're doing this a couple different ways. This is a, uh, a live video that we're doing to our private virtual lease options Facebook group. And I'm also going to be putting this out as a podcast on the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. So welcome, everybody. Hope you guys are doing well. This is uh, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, we're going to be talking about lease options. We're going to be talking about how to find good tenant buyers. And uh, let me just introduce real quick to you, Jesse. Jesse's been a friend of mine for a long time, Jesse. Long time. Seven years probably now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's a long time. Yeah. Um, but Jesse is a mortgage broker and he's done lots of lease option deals in the Minnesota area. Minnesota. Minnesota. And with his mortgage broker background, he understands this business really well. And so he's done a lot of deals as an investor, a lot of deals as a mortgage broker, and he's got a lot of experience, brings a lot of things to the table. And Paul is a friend of Jesse, and I've not met Paul yet, and we'll talk to Paul here in a minute. But welcome to the show, guys. How are you? Well, I'm doing good, Jesse. I, I, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's 13 above. When we spoke earlier, it was minus eight. So we must have a warm front coming in. It's 13 degrees. I'm excited about 2018. I, I got 18 degrees right now, and it's a heat wave. Oh, put the T-shirt on. Yeah, but oh, um, good, man. So, Jesse, I just introduced you a little bit. Paul, would you introduce yourself and, and say, say hi to everybody? We're right here in sunny Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it's about 12 degrees here. Joe, thanks for having us. Looking forward to talking with your audience, you, your, you and your audience today. We've been in the business for quite some time. My wife and I, we're, we're, we're also real estate investors. Yeah. We've owned and operated several different mortgage companies. We've got a credit enhancement company, and we've got a, a, a pre-qualification process, too. So we understand what it takes to do lease options, and that's really our sweet spot. Good. Excellent. Well, thank you, Paul. Welcome. Thanks. So, hey, Jesse, um, talk real quickly. I've, I think I've had you on the show before, haven't I? Yeah, we've done, uh, I think, a couple of these. Yes. Years, yeah. So um, talk a little bit about your experience doing lease options and uh, how, what, what got you started doing lease options. Why do you like them so much? Well, I got into it, I think it was about 2011. And I honestly don't know what was the very first thing that I saw. I believe it was something online. It might have been a Wendy Pat thing. And it started uh, getting more into it. And I saw something that you did with her. Uh -huh. and saw all the different, you know, automations you had. And I didn't realize at that time what a dork had become into all the automation in that world. And who knew it'd be, you know, doing that kind of stuff with 12, 14 phone numbers down the road and podio setups and people on the other side of the world. But, but yeah, I said, this is, this is awesome because I mean, at that time I was doing mortgages. And so my goal and my job is to get someone into a home one way or another. And I don't like to tell people no. And anyone who's ever worked with me as a client or a business partner knows that I, I'm a creative guy and I want to get things done. So I said, this is really cool. And I had a couple of people that fell into that boat 
And I knew that it was a good reason they couldn't get financing. They didn't just not pay their bills. They had a, a great, um, you know, I want to say in, in the best way possible excuse for not qualifying and put them into a, a, a property. First one ever, actually, we bought. So it's kind of cool. So we bought it. Um, I knew the money they had down and it was a great deal. They ended up buying it about two and a half years later. They had equity and appraised higher than what they were even buying it for me for. I made eight grand on the deal just on the option part alone, let alone the back end, let alone the 550 a month on the cash flow. So it was a sweet, sweet deal. I'm like, holy crap, I gotta do more of these. These are really cool. And it's a great way to, you know, do that. So I've been doing lease options ever since 2011 in conjunction doing mortgages. And I do both because honestly, the mortgage business um, is important to know that end of it, right? Yes. Um, and Paul can attest, he's got a, a great experience in the mortgage business as well. And he knows, and I know that, you know, not everybody knows that side of it. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's a really important thing is to know that part of the business or to at least have someone on your team who does, because we're not just throwing people in homes and crossing our fingers here. We're, we're, we're setting them up with a plan strategically to get, you know, financing on the road. Well, and let's talk about that for a minute too, because the main objective of a lease option is to set everybody up to win. Exactly. Obviously, you, the investor, needs to win, the seller needs to win, and the tenant buyer needs to win. And so one of the mistakes that a lot of investors have made <clears throat> in the past is um, they do lease options on deals that are hardly ever going to go to completion anyway, right? Because they're in bad areas. Even if the tenant buyer could get their credit fixed, would they? once they can get a mortgage, would they really even want to buy that home and live in that neighborhood? Chances are probably not. So the idea is on a lease option, you want to set up the tenant buyer to win where they can get a mortgage, right? And I hear gurus sometimes say this and it bothers me how I hope the tenant buyer doesn't buy the house because then I can put another one in and get another and make more money and extend it out, et cetera, et cetera. My philosophy ever since I went full time in 2009 was I want to only put tenant buyers that have a realistic chance of getting a mortgage in six to 12 months in my homes. I want them to have a shot at home ownership. I want them to buy the house. I want to set them up to win. And so it's really, really critical and important when you're doing lease option deals for a lot of reasons. You'll make more money. You'll get a better reputation. You'll stay out of trouble. Is put people who can afford the house in the home who have a realistic chance of getting a mortgage as quickly as possible. And I'm assuming you guys agree, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. What I what I see is I I do see other gurus, Joe Joe out there that are um, setting people up for failure and hoping that they fail. And the problem with that it's it, it's twofold actually. Like you say, I mean, along come Dodd Frank a while ago, and that could be a, a defendable position from somebody who's been set up to fail. And the penalty for non-compliance in Dodd-Frank is you have to give back the full non-refundable option deposit. It becomes refundable through the, through the court and also up to three years worth of the payments that they have made. So it's not just uh, something small. So, yeah, we're in the same – my wife and I, we're real estate investors. We want to see people succeed as well. So I'm glad we're on the same page here. Well, I'm glad you brought up Dodd-Frank too, and I want to talk about that more later and how that applies to lease options and if it does even, right? Right. So Jesse, talk a little bit about when you when you get a property under contract mm -hmm. to lease option, now you're going to sublease it, put a tenant buyer in the home. What are some of the things you 
look for in a good tenant buyer? And, 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 and take it from the mortgage broker's perspective. What do we investors need to know when we're, we're looking at tenant buyers and their, and their credit and from a mortgage broker's point of view? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I would say the number one thing that I look for is really the reason and the story, to be honest with you. Now, that doesn't necessarily always coincide with will they or won't they and, and when will they be able to get financing, right? But the story to me is everything. And, you know, anyone who's ever been through a mortgage, especially in the last few years or heck, since 2010, you know, it's like going to the dentist. You'd rather just get punched in the face. Or it's like going to the DMV, right? It's not fun. We ask a lot of questions. Uh, there's a lot of things that we have to look at. But so it's multiple layers of things. But the biggest thing is the story. If you're not paying your bills and you have no excuse for not making payments, everything is late, um, but there's not a good reason for it, like a job loss, like a new business, like a divorce, like medical, that's a little scary. When someone says to me they went through a bad divorce and then their credit went bad or led to a bankruptcy or a short sale of foreclosure, I don't really need to hear much more. Honestly, I've been doing loans for 15 years. I've seen so many people go through divorces and get you know wrecked on the way back out, right? Yeah. Or medical. Um, you can't help medical at all. Now, hopefully that whatever caused it is done or has ended recently. Now you're on the upswing, right? You know, we want folks who are here going up, not, you know, on the downhill still, right? If it's self-employment, that's a, that's a great one. I've done a lot of self-employment lease options for folks who are a year into their business. Um, or maybe they've been in their business for years, but they write off everything. Right. And I even have some bank statement programs out there, which are pretty cool um, and some some pretty unique financing options. So, I mean, if there's any way to get financing, our team can figure it out. But there's still just that black hole of, of the population that can't get financing. Um, and what are they willing to do? What are they going to do in that time frame? You know, that's the big thing. Um, if they're not even willing to look at credit repair, credit enhancement, if they you know, if their job is getting worse or, you know, there's, there's those types of things. So yeah. are they going to work with you? And what's their story is the biggest thing. And then honestly, Joe, I don't think the investors need to get into it too heavy because right. Then you're trying to be a doctor when you, you haven't been through that, you know, let's see what the facts are. And that's where Paul and I kind of come into play as we look at all of those hard numbers and we can go through that stuff. Well, let's talk about some of those hard numbers, right? One of the things I like to focus when I'm FHA, loans are the some of the easiest loans to get right and and, and <laughs> i joke around sometimes the, the subprime lending never went away right it's it's always been there fha is the biggest subprime lender in the world yeah but like it's easier to get subprime i mean to get fha loans because you only have to put three and a half percent down but the cool thing about them is they have an upper limit on the amount of money they will lend on a home and i'm not sure if there's a lower limit as well I don't think they would they would FHA lend on a thirty thousand dollar house. Uh, that gets more to the actual lender, broker, bank itself. Some of them impose limits, fifty okay. grand, thirty grand, but yeah, not. FHA. So here's the thing, though, you, you want to stick in that FHA sweet spot, right? Yes. Because if so, you don't want to. You typically don't want to chase after homes that are in the. You know, if if FHA limits are two seventy five in your market, you don't want to send a bunch of marketing to the five hundred thousand dollar homes just because it's a little harder to get those mortgages, right? So you're targeting homes in that middle median price range, the middle of the bell curve. So what are the requirements today? And I know they change over time. You can't 
promise anything, but like, what are the general requirements today to get FHA financing? Because that's important to know when you're doing lease options, right? You want to know, well, how far away is this tenant buyer from meeting these requirements? And mm-hmm. what do they have to do to meet those requirements? So what are some of the minimums? Absolutely. For my company and most of the companies out there, again, everybody's got a little bit different, but 580 credit score will get you in the door for FHA financing. I have a friend and a partner I work with who can go down to 520 if you have 10% down. Okay. That's so I was <laughs> Can you believe that? 520 if you have 10% to put down? Is that still an FHA loan? Yeah. Yeah. 10% down. And, and 520 with a VA, actually, with a zero down VA, which is amazing. I mean, right, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Huge props to, to our veterans, and they should get the most favorable. Yeah, I, agree. Sure, but. I agree. All right. What so, else? Three and a half percent down, it can be a full gift. So it doesn't even have to be your funds. It can come from a, a blood relative. And typically, we can go up to a 50% back end debt ratio. Wow. So how that factors is, let's say you make $5,000 a month salaried or hourly at your job before taxes, right? So up to 50% of that, which is $2,500, I look at that $2,500, then I subtract anything that shows up on a credit report and um, you know, only things on a credit report, student loans, you know, credit cards, auto loans, any other property, you know, whatever's left from there is your disposable income and that's what the housing payment has to go into. Yep. So. Um, so, yeah, so you can even go higher on this. So, I mean, right now I'm actually working with two people who they could go conventional, but I'm using FHA because they want to get a bigger, nicer home and they expect to make more money in the next year or two, and then we'll refinance them out of it. So one thing that Paul and I are actually talking about a little while ago, um, which I like his take on this too, though, is it gets you in the door. It gets your foot in the door. But again, the cool thing we all know about a lease option is that you're getting time, right? We're giving you time when a bank won't. We're giving you the opportunity when a bank won't. And so, yeah, I can I can get you that loan at 581 credit score, but you know what? Between what we do, if Paul can get you to a 660 or a 680 in a few months or six months later, anyways, you're already in the home that you're gonna be in, now you can get conventional financing, you know? And now you can get a better, you know, better deal. Now you can get something where you don't have mortgage insurance for life or you have to refinance out of it. Okay. All right. I think it's the great loan to get you in the door, but it's not necessarily the best one that you could get. Paul, yeah. what were you going to say? Yeah. May I uh, interject a couple things here? There's a thing put on by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac called loan level price adjustments. I'm sure Jesse can attest to this. It basically means that it's, it works at about 20 point tiers. And it starts out around 640, 660, 680. And each time you jump up a tier, you get better rates and terms and fees combinations. And while our sweet spot may be FHA, Let's not limit our tenant buyers to any specific program. There's USDA, there's Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Let's get them as high as they possibly can because we want it to be kind of fail safe too. Sometimes FHA may fall out for whatever reason, paint chips or hand railings or whatever it is. So let's get them to where they need to be. And with our programs, we not only help them with age of credit, mix of credit, balance limit ratio, and all the other variables other than just credit repair to get to, to, get, to get them into the stratosphere as, term, as far as their score is concerned. So we're walking them along the way. And then on the front side, we're also helping them with an affordability analysis. We're making certain that they can afford the property. Mm-hmm. We get pay stubs and W-2s and we calculate our debt to income ratio. And to protect the, the real estate investors, and Joe, you're going to love this one, 
we also issue two documents mm -hmm. that can be used as addendums. So whatever contracts you guys are already using, please go ahead and use those. But additionally, we have documents that basically say they're not going to materially change their income or their debt load. We've calculated everything out for them, soup to nuts, to make certain that they're able to, to qualify. And they have to sign this document saying they're not going to change their income or their debt load. In other words, they're not going to go out and buy a car right before they go and apply with Jesse. In addition to that, we have a second document that says that they're going to enroll with the credit enhancement and follow our instructions along the way. Our credit enhancement is unlike any other in this industry. Credit repair is the disputing of negative inaccurate information. There's a lot of companies out there that do that. Credit enhancement, however, is a little different because you're doing, a, you're doing much more for the client. With the credit enhancement, we're, we're not only disputing things, we're also helping them with the other 65% of the score that is not covered with credit repair. So it's, it, there's a big difference. And we also, because we dispute everything every time, and other credit repair companies do things one at a time, because we're doing that, we're able to get the, the people done with our program a lot quicker. And we're even able to let you know how long it's gonna be for them to be mortgage ready whenever they first start with our program. That's a key component. So therefore, whenever the real estate investor sitting back, they're thinking, should I be putting these people in the property for six months, nine months, a year? You're given an expert opinion on how long it's gonna be based upon what's on the credit report to start and what we can dispute and what we feel, we feel we have a high confidence that we're going to have removed over time. And that's really good because if you're assigning the lease option or if you're a realtor, you're doing this as a realtor, the listing, you can give that documentation to the homeowner, to the seller and say, here's what our professionals who are into this are predicting, right? Or what are saying needs to be done. The tenant buyer gets that. Okay. So back to I want to get to that more in, the, in just a minute, but getting back to like finding the good tenant buyer, Jesse and Paul, are there certain things that the tenant buyer can't have on their credit report, like a ton of unpaid taxes or child alimony and support? You know, can they be, can they have a foreclosure like in the last year, six months? I'm fine with that as far as the foreclosure goes. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's a why though, right? Okay. Like if you couldn't just, pay your bills and your mortgage six months ago, what's changed? You know, I'm working with someone right now who it's snowballed and they did a loan modification and they tried and tried and tried. And, you know, it was one of the things that took forever. And it was back in the day when they said, we won't even work with you until you're late. So then of course, what do you do? Well, you start becoming late. Anyways, it took forever. So their pain isn't a few months ago. The pain was a long time ago and the process drug them out. I'm cool with that all day long, but I know why I know what, what it was. I would say, Paul, is there anything that you, what do you look at and you say, I can't get this off the credit no matter what? Um, well, there are, yeah, I'm sorry, Jesse. There are elements that there's two different ways of looking at being denied alone. And one is for score and the other one is for guidelines. And I think what Joe is somewhat alluding to is guidelines can kick you out for simplest, stupidest little thing, like an item in dispute on consumer on a credit report as in a comment section. And it's an automatic turndown. Uh, it's not even a score issue, really. It's just an item is, uh, it kicks it out of DU or LP, which is the on online underwriting systems. Mm -hmm. How long since a bankruptcy? How long since a foreclosure? Those type of things will kick them out. But there's one other element kind of hits a wild card out there. Not many people talk about it, but we have a solution for it. And that is student loans. They sit out there and sometimes you have people that have 
ungodly hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans. There's a way to get these student loans consolidated and resoluted so that it reports correctly on the credit report. And there's income-based programs. There's a lot of different ways to look at this and um, to have those payments be much more affordable. And as a loan officer, Jesse, I tell you what, with having this extra feather in your cap, it's going to really help you bring those ratios in line if someone's got a lot of, a lot of student loan debt. Yeah. No, that's one of the biggest things. And it's hard to get around that. You know? Yeah. Okay. So when you have a house under a lease option and you want to put a good tenant buyer in there, my philosophy has always been, don't try to figure out and be the loan expert guy, right? Yeah. Work with a mortgage broker, work with a credit repair company, work with the company that will pre-screen your tenants because it's going to help you focus on other things like talking to sellers and making offers, right? And getting properties under contract, getting somebody else to help you. That's that because the guidelines, the regulations, that stuff changes all the time. And it's just much better to have somebody that you can say, here, talk to my mortgage broker, talk to this guy and then work with them. Right? So I wanted to ask you real quick when it, when it comes, when you find a good tenant buyer and you're putting everything together, Jesse, talk real quick about that option deposit money. Whether you're staying in the middle of the deal or you're assigning the lease option away, it's really important that the option money is made out to a third-party escrow company. Will you talk about why that's important? Absolutely. Um, yeah, and one of the things that you mentioned, I mean, guidelines, right? There's over 1,200 pages of guidelines just for a conventional mortgage, right? Roughly the same thing with FHA, and they change frequently. So don't try to be the pro. And even if you knew exactly what you are talking about a year ago, it might be different now, right? So we keep up on that, obviously, all the time. Yeah. But for the, the option deposit, when the mortgage happens, and again, that's why it's so important to have a good team with you up front, because right now, you're, especially if you're new, you're, just, you're, you're giddy. You're like, oh, my God, I've got a seller who's on board. I've got a tenant buyer who has money. This is going to happen. And, and you're thinking right now, but you might not be thinking when this comes to fruition two, three years down the road. And those things will catch up. So the money needs to go to a third party source. It needs to look or even go to the seller. If it goes to you as the person in the middle who has no ownership in the home, you know, even though you have an equitable interest, lender is going to say, this doesn't count. They'll say, who the heck is, you know, a whole solutions group? Who is that company? Who is this? I see a seller and I see a buyer. And then there's this independent third party in the middle that got paid. We, we can't count it. So that's why it is absolutely crucial. And again, there's a ton of loan officers out there that do amazing jobs. I mean, there's thousands of us, tens of thousands of us, right? There's not that many that have ever done a lease option or even know what it is or even know the paper trail to get there. Literally, I don't know, I think it was last week, one of our Facebook um, crew in one of the groups said they talked to two different mortgage pros and they're like, I don't know it and I can't work with it and I don't, because they don't do it, right? What you don't understand, you don't do. So anyways, it's very important that the money goes to an independent third party. So make it out to the title company you're working with or the attorney's trust account. The check cannot come to you. Yeah. And if it does, or if you've already done this, I've talked to folks too who are like, dang it, I wish I would have talked to you last week, Jesse, or a month ago. If it's already happened, it doesn't mean the deal's dead. It just means that you may have a very hard time crediting that deposit towards their down payment. Yeah. Now, what that's, you that's what we're talking about because yeah. this is so important that you're working with a mortgage broker who understands lease options. Yeah. Because you get mortgage brokers that will tell you you can't do that or you can't get that money to apply 
towards their down payment. But if you're working with a mortgage broker that understands lease options, they know the right way to present it to the bank. And they know which banks won't do it, right? They, they, so I'm, I'm assuming, Jesse, you know, these are good banks that we can put into a lease option uh, to get refinanced or finance into a lease option. And then these are banks that even if you used a third-party escrow company, will not work with us. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, you can never guarantee, right? You can never guarantee. You may have one underwriter, you know, you can, you can have 50 scenarios, right? And you might have one of those 50 that say, I need to see that the money actually went from John Tenet Buyer into Sally Sellers' account. Let me see it go in Sally Sellers' account. Well, that might be an issue, right? It might be an issue. If you have that, you need to work around it. But most of them will see the money go through the escrow account and through the you know trust account or, or whatever and see that attorney's name or title company or escrow, and they're going to be okay with that. When I started, honestly, I just had the money literally go from the tenant buyer to the seller, and I had the seller take their checkbook out and write me a check. Yeah. Probably the first half a dozen, dozen deals I did. Because I'm like, I'm so scared. I need the money to go to you, to you. And, but I didn't like the idea that the, the, uh, the seller's like, cool, here's eight grand. Here's yeah. eight grand. Uh, yeah. you know, I made them all happen, but it, it was, I'm like, I got to get around this a, a better way. And I should say around it, but just work it a different way. That's still uh, a good way of doing it. So, all right, let's talk about rent credits real quick. I wish I could, um, I, I get so many Facebook messages about this and stuff like that, right? That mm -hmm. it can't be applied towards the down payment of a house. Well, I, I don't do many rent credits anymore to begin with, but when we do, they're for small amounts and they go towards seller concessions, closing costs, just reducing the price of the home. I don't know why it trips so many people up. Why is this such a headache to deal with rent credits, Jesse? <laughs> I'm going to attempt to talk and look for something at the same time in my Dropbox, but I have got one of the actual rules in here. So rent credits Per FHA rules right now, and I want to say conventional as well, which again, FHA is the, the giant. Most of the time, in order to get the credit for the excess rent they're paying, you can only credit them whatever is above market rent. So for, market rent, if it goes towards their down payment, right? If it goes towards their down payment or closing costs. Yep. Okay. If that's what you call it in the paperwork. So again, this is why you want to talk with us before you do this. Like once you've already done it and then say, hey guys, help me out. It's too late. I should say it's too late. Part of what we can offer, that's too late, but the rest of it, we can help with the, everything else, right? But setting this up in the paperwork, you want to do that right. So you don't know what an appraiser is going to say market rent is in two and a half years. You don't know what the heck they're going to say now. You can get five appraisers with five different things of market rent. So you can only count uh, what's above market rent towards their down payment if you call it a rent credit per the rent credit rules. What I like to do is I like to advertise it's a rent credit, but then when I meet with them, I say, look, how we're actually going to apply this to you and give it to you is in seller paid closing costs. Then I don't care what the heck the rent credit is or what um, the market rent is or what an appraiser says, I can give up to 6% of the purchase price or 3% of the purchase price towards all their closing costs and prepaid expenses. And I know there's no chance of that getting messed with unless they change those rules, which I can't help. Yeah. The rent credit is a total crapshoot if you do it the way that the um, guidelines define it as a rent credit. Does that make sense? Yes. So it's, it's kind of how you label it. All the more reason why 
I mean, it's important to know this stuff, but like, you don't need to know the details of it. Just work with a good mortgage broker that does. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to talk about pre-screening tenant buyers. You know, Paul, that's something I think you guys are doing as well, in addition to the credit repair. So what are some of the things when you're pre-screening tenant buyers and applications are you looking for? Uh, prior evictions, criminal history, verification of income, that stuff? Yeah, actually, we're we're looking at all those. We're doing a criminal background check, Megan's Law report. We're doing a debt-to-income ratio. In other words, we get the uh, the income documentation in. So one of the red flags, like like people say to me, because I'm a real estate investor too, and I and I go and, and I talk with a whole bunch of real estate. Oh, I'm just using Landlord Station, or I'm using Smart Moves by TransUnion. So whenever you use companies like that, they're going to give you a yes or no decision based upon what's on the credit report. They're basically set up for rent, not really rent to own. So it misses a big chunk of really what I would consider pertinent information whenever I'm considering putting somebody in a hundred, $200,000 house. I would want to know, can they afford the house? Can they afford the rent? Can they, you know, um, criminal background, Megan, uh, yeah, I understand that. But I also don't want to be told yes or no. I want to be told the facts. I want to know how long is it going to be for them to be mortgage ready? What's the action plan that they need to embark in in order to get there? So we don't issue a yes or a no. We simply give you those facts and let you make the decision. And the cool thing is, since we are also real estate investors, we don't say things to mess up your deal. Like we won't tell them that, oh, you have to have the credit repair in order to to get in this house. That's not part of how we're doing business here. What we're doing is we're basically giving you the facts and we're giving them the action plan. So screening, all screenings are not created equal. Um, as same as all credit repairs are not created equal. Yeah. Good, good. I wanted to ask about Dodd-Frank and I, I, I it would have been appropriate to ask it earlier because <laughs> I'm back, I'm backtracking a little bit. Sure. Uh, Talk about Dodd-Frank and how that relates to lease options and does it? Well, I've heard arguments from attorneys both ways, that it really has nothing to do with it. And I've heard that it does. And I've heard that if you have so many properties under different companies that uh, you're protected from it, so many properties per year. I don't want to be the case, Joe. I don't want to be the one, the poster child that ends up having to give my uh, non-refundable option deposit back and three years worth of the uh, the money. So, Know this about Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank, the spirit of Dodd-Frank is, did you set the people up to fail? And it really talks about credit and it talks about affordability. And if you did both the debt-to-income ratio or not, better yet, had a third party do a debt-to-income ratio on them, get all the information on the credit report, get their income documentation, weigh one against the other in consideration of the new loan, the new home mortgage, the taxes, the insurance, weigh everything out, have them sign it, that absolves you really, doesn't absolve you, but I guess at least if it's put in front of a judge later on uh, and there's a signature on it, uh, it's pretty ironclad that you did your due diligence mm-hmm. and you had that checked out. As far as credit's concerned, they're very, mm, how should I say, uh, vague about how they go about, did the people have the credit in order to qualify? If you can say, if you can show them that you set them up with a credit enhancement company and even when as far as to have them sign a piece of document or document that says, that they're going to do the credit repair and they're going to follow the instructions of the credit repair company. And if they don't get there, most of the times it's because they didn't follow our instructions. Yeah. So I think it, it, it basically 
I, again, just a digress. I wouldn't want to be the poster child. Does Dodd-Frank reach into our industry? Some people will tell you yes. Some people will tell you no. I would say I don't, I don't want to be the, the test case. Mm-hmm. Just, just do what you're doing above board. Keep it and above feel, board. And feel good about it. You know, let's, let's feel good about doing the right type of business. And you said it on the onset. I, I love the way you said it, Joe, is let's give these people a chance or a better than average chance to get this thing done. Let's get the, let's set them up for success, not failure and end up and end up even having to, you know, kick them out of the house. Yeah. Let's make money and do the right thing at the same time. We all know, I think, from our collective experiences, the people that give rent to own a bad name or oh, so-and-so did one and never, never do that or the agents that think that, which even makes me more upset, is because they worked with someone or heard of someone who worked with someone who didn't do it right. Yeah. You know, they're just taking someone you can't sell and you can't buy. Let's see what happens. And that's not the professional way to do it. When you've got, if you do this and this and this and this and this, these four, five, six things, and I think it's going to take you two years. So I'm going to give you two and a half years. I'm going to give you more time, not less time. I'm going to give you three years. And I check in with you and I follow up with you and you signed and dated this. And then it didn't happen. And you clearly went and bought that new boat that you signed three years ago. You weren't going to do. I mean, like you said, if you, you know, not to scare anybody, but you got to think if you're standing in front of a judge five years down the road, when this is completely out of your mind of this transaction you did, what's it going to look like? You know, and if you could say, I literally did everything I could in my power. I, you know, I pay an outside team of people to help me with this. Here's all the documentation. I think you're going to be in a much better spot than if you have none of that. Good. Very good. All right. So Jesse and Paul talk a little bit about, um, I've been sending people to you for a long time, Jesse. Hey, if you want a mortgage broker that can help you with your lease options, almost in all 50 states, right? Correct. Yep. Send them, contact Jesse. So are you still doing that and talk a little bit more about that? Yes, I am. And uh, it's just kind of funny. So that's, you bring up how Paul and I connected. I've been hearing Paul's name for a while. Like, oh, you mean screen the tenants and, and, and my prequel team and, and Paul Reddy, that's kind of what they do. And they're doing a little bit what you do. And so Paul and I got to talking and we have a very, very similar background and experience level. And what I'm doing is really more on the side of kind of like their mortgage coach to get them through. But with my pre pre approval, and I do the finger quotes, if you're listening to this, the pre pre approval, we know they're not pre approved, clearly, but what do they need to do to get there? And I'm really getting into the weeds, really getting into details on, you know, if you're self employed, what's your taxable income? What's your write offs? What do you need to do? You know, how do we work with your accountant on this and, and really setting up that plan? <clears throat> and then I'm talking with them afterwards. So I'm staying in touch with them throughout the program and the process. Uh, I like, like Paul and his team have a couple documents I use. And one of them is a tenant buyer before and after a snapshot. And so my before and after snapshot is very, very similar to what Paul has. And it's saying, here's all your scores. Here's your income. Here's your debts. Here's your collections. Here's your judgments. Here's, uh, here's everything. Here's where you need to be, right? And maybe this is good, but maybe this is bad. And I go through everything and I have them sign and date that as well. And so they know where it needs to be. And then I say, hey, you know what? Our team is going to be here to help you get there as well. So um, we, Paul and I started talking and it's like, wow, we're really doing a very similar service, but I'm on one end of the spectrum, very mortgage heavy. And then Paul's on uh, the front end um, with everything else with the credit background, you know, eviction check and all that stuff. 
and he gets into the debt to income ratio. And right when he kind of hands it off is where I really pick up with that stuff. So like, wow, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. So then Paul, what do you do? So what I do is I help people in the very front side. I'm more based in the tenant buyer, whereas Jesse's working with the real estate investor. So well, actually Jesse works with both. His work is with the tenant buyer, but he engages a lot with the real estate investor as well. As I work with the tenant buyer on the front side, so for 50 lousy dollars, what they're going to get is that criminal background check, Megan's Law, sex offender report, and the uh, debt-to-income ratio analysis, how long to be mortgage ready. The tenant buyer gets the action plan. We put together a little action plan. So this all then feeds into, for, when they do business with these pre-qual team, with our pre-qual team, they're going to then be referred over to two phases, both the credit repair and then also Jesse will get contact information of the of the real estate investor and he'll talk with them about making certain that the that the action plan is followed. So he's going to be more checking under the hood and making certain that the action plan is going to be followed. So he's going to walk them through from cradle to grave at that phase. I'm going to basically give you all the information you need to make a decision yes or no. And then I'm going to also help with the credit repair. And then I back out. Then it's not my then then it then it's it's on to Jesse. And Jesse basically walks him through and makes it all happen. So talk a little bit more then about what happens during the one or two years of the credit repair. What is the what is the tenant buyer doing and who's is anybody following up with them during that time? We have a full processing staff here. We've got people that that generate the documents. We've got people that help them build new credit go over their age of credit, mix of credit and balance limit ratios. So during that process, our customized dispute letters that we're generating, we're not just going online and clicking a button, which triggers a system called eOscar, which is an electronic verification module. What we're doing is generating at each time a custom dispute letter that goes to the credit bureaus. And now the credit bureaus have to respond to that letter. They're given a certain amount of times. There's 28 different ways, Joe, that something can come off of a credit report. It's not just trying to beat them down by having them not respond and, and winning the game that way. It's uh, a student loan that has a 60-day late without a 30-day late preceding it, which is an inaccurate entry. It's uh, a duplicate account that may be a Verizon who sold it to a collection agency, and both of them report on the credit report. There are many, many different avenues to having an item removed. So we take them through that, and we're going to have as many negative things as we have can have come off the report. And we have a very high deletion ratio. Our ratio is between 60 and 70%. Uh, it's quite high in this industry, and it's because we dispute everything all the time. You'll hear credit repair companies out there say, oh, you only want to dispute one or two things at a time. That's a bunch of bull. What you want to do is make that that dispute as complex as possible because the you got to think of it in a reverse tactic. What happens at the credit bureau level is those companies, these people have to get so many done a day. Mm-hmm. And if you, they're given a real complex dispute that's got 50 items on it, it's really hard for them to do that within the time frame that they're given to work on each individual account. So the more complex I, dispute removes more things. And it's very customized too what we do. So the dispute resolution process with the credit bureaus, not with the credit bureaus. In other words, excuse me, not with the creditors. We're not a consumer credit counseling service. We're not here to negotiate that down to dimes on the dollar. It's the dispute resolution process with the credit bureaus being customized and having an end date on the date you start that's what differentiates us from XYZ credit repair company out there. That's why this works for lease options. 
Good. Okay. I just looked at my credit score and I'm not going to show it to you. <laughs> whoop, there you go. Uh, okay. But I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. My score is, is pretty good, but when I working on refinancing a house, so okay. they pulled my credit and my score was about a hundred points lower on what they pulled the, the bank pulled than what I see on the different, like, you know, credit card companies, discover mm-hmm. capital one, all them, they'll show you your score, right? You know what I'm talking about? Or right. uh, even the credit karma, they'll show you scores and stuff like, right. why is there such a huge difference between what I'm seeing on my capital one account? Yeah. What I'm seeing from yeah. the bank. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I could write a book on this one. So yeah, um, the variance in score is dependent upon several items. And it's really dependent upon the number one primary item. Primary item is that it depends upon what type of scoring model it's falling under. Online Credit Karma uses a thing called Vantage Score. Vantage, not Advantage, V-A-N-T-A-G-E, which is different than FICO, which is what Jesse's going to be using. And any mortgage broker is going to be using a FICO score. So that's why you see such a big difference. It's because you're measuring, the measurement mechanism is different between them. And in that, some of them put more emphasis or weight on items that like balance limit ratio. Credit Karma really is a glorified credit card scoring system. And whereas mortgages are are done by FICO. So Credit Karma, if you've got a high balance limit ratio, it's going to punish you big time. And if you've got a low one, it's going to overcredit you. So it's a lot more, because they want to sell credit cards on Credit Karma, that's what they're doing. That's why you see that variance. And to try to follow it on a daily basis, you know, it's just going to drive you crazy. So just know this, the people that wrote these scoring models, these are people that with thick Coke bottle, thick glasses and rubber rooms. And it's really where they should stay because to try to understand that stuff, it's an algorithm that is, um, that's many, many pages long. So just know that uh, the data is what we're really concerned with because as you change the data, it makes the score more volatile. For example, let's say I have two negative items on my credit report and I have one of them taken off and my score doesn't move much. Did it, did something really happen? Oh yeah. Something definitely really happened because maybe the score didn't move much because I put, I, at the same time I try, I put something on my credit card. So now as I do one, I the higher balance kind of counteracts the lower, the lowering of or removal of the negative item. So whereas people don't think that, things are happening with their score, the more volatile score now can go up a lot quicker because I've removed that negative item. Now, if I pay off my credit card, all of a sudden my score jumps up by 70 points and they say, well, gee, that's what happened. Well, kind of, because it was one thing that factored into the other that factored into the other that put your score where it is. A score is a snapshot in time. It is not a motion picture. People think of I'm paying on my credit card or my student loan for years, uh, that, that's factoring into my score. Yes, it is over that time frame, but it's only the instant in which Jesse pushes that button and asks for your score that it takes all the data, accumulates it, puts it all together, runs it through the algorithm and spits out a score. So in other words, you can have a bad credit for a long, long period of time, and then you're good for six months and it's going to affect you in a very positive way. So removal of negative things, 
Making your score more volatile and then following good patterns going forward is the secret to having and keeping a high credit score. Good. Okay. Jesse, question for you. Um, back in the day, 2005, 2008, some investors were doing refinances to get their tenant buyers financed. One of the things I just thought about is, is that coming back? Do you see where it could become easier maybe if a tenant buyer has been leasing a property for a year or two to just refinance them or do they have to get a new mortgage? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's a great, great question. I talk about this a lot too, because there is, it's a big difference if you're going to do a lease option or seller financing contract for deed land contract. And, and you can't do a refinance on a rent to own because there's nothing to refinance. Refinance is redoing a mortgage Well, you don't have a mortgage. Okay. Right, A rent-to-own is your renting, and then you're going to get a mortgage. And when you get a mortgage, it's based on you getting a mortgage at that time. So there's no equity because it's not an equitable interest mortgage. Right, we, We're steering away from that. So, okay, what about this, though? Let's say you're doing a sandwich lease option. You're staying in the middle. Yep. Six months from now, you want to get your tenant buyer cashed out. You want to, But you're a little nervous about getting them a loan. Could you or should you transfer it, change it to a seller financing deal? six months later than do the refinance? Well, yes and yes and no. So that's one of the misconceptions. Getting a refinance is not a lot easier or harder than getting a purchase mortgage. Okay. Like if, if your scores or whatever reasons causing you not to be able to get a mortgage to buy it, yeah. it's going to be the same thing for refinancing. Okay. They don't just go, oh, well, we really don't like these things, but it's a refi, so we don't care. I've just heard from mortgage brokers in the past that the refinancing is easier. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, it, it's the rules don't change. Let me put it that way. The rules don't change. It maybe gets a little bit easier. Here's what's good. Here's what's good, though, is you avoid the 90 day FHA flip rule. OK, yeah, OK, that's huge. You will not run into that. And there may be more um, uh, more interest or I'm sorry, equity for the tenant buyer. Right. Which is good for them and good for you. Because you got to look at both instruments. On a, on a contract for deed, land contract, you have sold it and they are 100% responsible for everything, for fixing it, repairs, everything. Yeah. Right? On a rent to own, it's in the middle. It's a little bit this, a little bit that. So, yeah, so they could refinance and they could say, hey, per my contract for deed, I bought it at 150000 and it's not worth one hundred and sixty. I've got ten grand in equity and I don't have to come up with a penny more. So on a, the other way of just the rent to own, they still have to come in with that down payment based on now. Yeah. And if I help you set this up right from the beginning, they have done it right up good, front good. with their option deposit. All right. So let's talk about how to work with you guys. What does it cost? Can I make the tenant buyer pay for it? How does that yes. work? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I would say I'll let, I'll let Paul start with this, but start with Paul and then I take it from there and then we're working with them simultaneously. Good. Okay. Paul, oh, uh, all they need to do is go to screen or go to prequalteam.com. It's prequal team.com. And uh, they'll see a, a tenant application there. And if you are one of these real estate investors that you want to control everything and do your own application, that's fine too. You can go, there's a landlord application there. Click on the landlord application and just put the information. Whoever goes there is going to pay the 50 bucks for the screening process. And that initiates that, that, that starts to pump. 
It primes okay. the pump. And then from there, if they need credit repair, they get referred over to us. And at the same time, we talk to them about the pre pre-approval process. So Jesse can talk to them and Jesse should get in there before you sign. I, I always say there's two closings in a, in a lease option transaction. The first closing is when they get the keys and they move in the house. The second one is when they get the, the title sent over to them or, or in their name, whenever you get in the mortgage, uh, even before that first closing, you should be talking to Jesse as a real estate investor so he can make certain that you're doing everything. Just like the question you just asked, Joe, um, how should I structure it? Should it be seller financing? Should it be lease option? Jesse's a great, he's a great uh, person to help you at least with the, 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 the document part of that uh, to understanding the nuances either way from a, from a mortgage perspective. So sending them over to the, to, to the uh, pre-qualification pre-qual team and having them fill out that application, and then we work we work our magic from there through the uh, the screening and the credit repair and the pre qualification process. Okay, so then what happens after? So you get a tenant buyer that says uh, that, that that's a good fit for your house. You send them to prequalteam.com. Mm-hmm. There's a fifty dollar application fee. Is that right? $50 per applicant. And I define applicant as those who are going to be on title to the property later on. Okay. Tenant buyer pays that. Then what happens after that? What are the costs after that? Um, the, well, they're going to, since they paid that, they're going to get a $79 analysis per person free of the credit report. They're also going to get the $119 setup fee waived. And that's because they're listening to you here today, Joe, because okay. they came referred to us through you we're going to waive $198 worth of fees. And so as they, we do that, that's what, what's going to happen next is that the tenant buyer is going to get all the instructions. We're going to contact them, get their W-2s and their pay stubs, and we're going to do the free analysis. And the real estate investor is going to end up getting a really nice deliverable report that's going to have everything in it that we'd mentioned, the, the worksheets and the criminal background check, Megan's law report, and everything in there, how long it's going to be to be mortgage ready. So all that's going to happen automatically. Uh, it's going to be a great filtering mechanism. And here's the other cool thing I like to say, too, is that let's just say, and I tell this people all the time, let's just say that you don't get the house. And I'm not here to tell you that you are going to get the house or you don't, you're not going to get the house. But let's just say you don't because uh, you have cats and dogs and the house doesn't permit it, whatever. Okay, so what happens is I would encourage them to stay in the credit repair and also continue to work with, with Jesse because... What's going to happen is now they are part of your buyer's list. Maybe there's another property you get next week, next month, or so on. This is a person that's on your active buyer's list. And now you know how many beds and how many baths they want in what area and how much they have for a down payment. So use this as a mechanism to build your buyer's list. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Yeah. And then from, from there, if, again, we want to make, they don't have to use both of us. They can use whatever they need. But I highly, highly encourage the full plan because, again, if you're thinking I'm going to outsource this so I can just go, like you said, go market, find more sellers, find more tenant buyers, and let you know the people that do this do all of it, that's the best way to do it. But from that point, what I would do then is get the information from Paul's team, which already has it, and then I'm going through and doing the mortgage pre, pre-approval. And again, the reason why this is so important, Joe, before you close, as I say, you know, I might say, hey, you know what, guys, they just had a foreclosure here six months ago. They need two and a half years. Uh, but, you know, Steve, you set this up for two years. It's not going to fly. Well, you need to know that beforehand. So then you can go back to the seller and say, hey, look, you know what, my guys need two and a half years. 
and my mortgage guy can even talk to you about it. And I will, and I can help close the deal that way. So we want to know that up front. And then what I recommend uh, folks do, I've always done this anyways, but get a uh, upfront, are you serious deposit? Right. Okay? I call it a thousand bucks, maybe 1500 bucks upfront. And I say, tenant buyer, this will hold this property for you and you only, even as I continue to show this while we do our background checks and due diligence. Okay. I will apply it towards your option deposit, you know, uh, when you close, but if you do not and you change your mind, Hey, we took the property off the market, right? So you get that thousand dollars, $1,500 upfront of their deposit. Mm-hmm. Then even if you pay for my services, which run four ninety seven for the tenant buyer pre pre approval. Okay. Say it again. How much? Four hundred ninety seven. Four hundred ninety seven dollars. Yep. Okay. Four hundred ninety seven. That's it for the full tenant buyer pre pre approval, and obviously staying with them for the whole process as well. Um, then even if they backed out, if they did, which they probably should, but if they did, you still didn't lose any money, and I didn't work for free, right? Because nobody wants to work for free, uh, and you made money, frankly. So. If you know going into this, guys, that you're going to use our services, all you do is just you know change your pricing, change your margin. If you're going to ask for six grand for your option deposit, ask for sixty six hundred, and yeah. then you're good to go. Yeah, very good. It's really worth the investment. It really is because it it just means that you're going to save yourself trouble in the future potentially um, by avoiding mistakes, uh, getting the right person in there documenting everything so it just doesn't come back to bite you. And again, there's no reason why you can't make the tenant buyers pay for it, right? Can I give you a real quick example? I think you might like this one. My my wife who, who runs the screening company the other day was was working with these people and, and they were asking for, I believe it was $1,500 monthly rent. In addition to that, they're asking for $10,000 down on about a quarter million dollar house. And when we ran the numbers, we came up with, they need to, in order to make this thing fly, they need to bring in about 25000 and they need to have $2,000 a month rent. And Jesse, you can attest to this. There's a thing called payment shock. It makes it really hard for a mortgage broker to do his job if you're collecting less in the rent than the mortgage is going to be later on. Mm-hmm. So we told them up front, hey, you need to get at least $2,000 a month on this, and you need to come in with more money. And guess what happened? That's what happened. The people ended up, they, instead of giving $10,000 down, they put 25 down. Mm-hmm. And then the sandwich lease option was $2,000 a month. And that's what that's how the whole, whole deal went down. I'll only because, and I would transunion smart moves give you something like that, or the landlord station, they're not going to even know how to spell debt to income ratio. So that's kind of where this thing goes. And, and when Jesse gets, he starts working with it too, these type of things become more apparent to Jesse as well. So you need to have a team of people in here who understand these things. And, and this is so important too, when you're talking to the seller and you're explaining the lease options to them, you can tell them, you, you know, like in my, those of you that have my course, I have that um, credibility kit that you send to sellers when you make offers, right? Well, you need to have a mortgage broker on there. You need to have a tenant screening company and a credit repair company on there. And so this then gives you the opportunity, which means you're going to do more deals. This gives you more credibility, especially if you're just getting started and you don't feel like you have that. Well, yeah. now you do. Well, and I know I know we got to wrap up because we've been here for a little bit, but I want to say two weeks ago, I was on a call with um, one of our students, one of our clients, and he said, same thing, right? All you need to know is, I got a tenant buyer. They say they have money. They want the property. When you're at that stage, guys, that's when that's when you want to talk to us. 
Okay, that's when you want to go to my pre or uh, I'm sorry, not my pre prequel team. Prequalteam.com. Prequalteam.com. Be in the show notes of the of the podcast. P R E Q U A L team.com. Uh, Jesse, one more thing too. Yeah. Uh, you said you would give us a 33-point checklist. Is that right? Correct. 33 yes. of, of 33 checklist of what? Your, your flight checklist, man. Your flight. Yes. So your tenant buyer 33-point checklist. So nice. after doing lease options for about seven years, this is everything I've been through both as an investor and as a mortgage pro going through going, gosh, I should have asked this. I should have looked at this. I should have done this. And I go through this every time with my clients and I go through them with your tenant buyers as well. So it's one of the things you're getting for the 497 is I'll do that for you, but we'll just give you this form. So even if you don't want to use our services, you have this checklist to go off of. The other thing I go through is my before and after tenant buyer snapshot, right? Here's your numbers today. Here's your numbers tomorrow. But I wanted to tell you this really quick is two weeks ago, I had a guy who was on the phone and he said, Hey, you know what? The, the seller really wants to talk to you. He wants to hear from a mortgage guy. He's like, call my bluff. I said, cool, man, let's line it up. So I talked to him on a Saturday morning. Wife was mad because, you know, Saturday morning. I said, hey, honey, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I talked to the guy, went through everything. I said, you know what? Frankly, these tenant buyers look great. I put way worse conditions, our tenant buyers in way worse shape into homes than these guys. These guys are great. I think we're good to go. He's on board. He's comfortable. He moved ahead. I also talked to the tenant buyers two or three times. And I uh, explained to them that, you know, they're safe. If they do what they need to do, they should be fine. And that honestly, if it falls apart at all, it's really on them. Yeah. We're giving them every single tool that they need to do. So I, I helped close the deal. I mean, I'm not going to pat myself back and go rah, rah, I did it. But I guarantee you, if I would have had that conversation been a little, you know, I don't know, or if there would have been any sort of uneasiness in my voice and, and what I said and how I said it, it may not have happened. So. You know, I want you guys to get the deal done. I'm an investor just like you, you know? Yeah, very good. All right, so to get that 33-point checklist that Jesse talked about, I'm going to have a special link for you guys. It's going to be reimpodcast.com slash Jesse. R-E-I-M, for Real Estate Investing Mastery, reimpodcast.com slash Jesse. We'll get that on over to you, that checkpoint checklist thing. Also, I want to give you again one more time prequalteam.com, P R E Q U A L T E A M.com. If you're doing lease options anywhere in the country, that's why I'm so excited about this, is now you just have one place to go, right? You don't have to go and find a local mortgage broker in whatever city you're in. Or if you're doing it in your own market, or if you're doing it in Jacksonville, Florida, okay, we're going to be using Jesse and Paul. So this is uh, really highly, I uh, highly recommend these guys to you. So um, anything else you want to say? Any parting words, Paul? No, I want to thank you for inviting me. Thank you, Jesse, for setting this up. And I really look forward to working with you, Joe, and any, uh, and any of your um, students. I love it. I'm writing down REII. REIMpodcast.com slash Jesse before I forget. And, and, it's, and it's Jesse, J-E-S-S-E. Just yes. There's no I-E. I'm a dude. The girls have the IE. Yeah. Just E. Okay. J E S S E. Correct. Correct. Good. But uh, no, Joe, thank you so much for having us on. I very much appreciate it. And yeah, we've, we've known each other a long time. And I always tell people, you know, the best investment I've ever made, honestly, is getting your course. And I told you, first deal I did, $8,000. That was just the option deposit. 
let alone the monthly, let alone the back end. Yeah. And um, it was just for, you know, taking a chance and, and then doing the work. And so it's a phenomenal technique that can help a lot of people do something really good and make some good money. So yeah. I appreciate it. Very good. So there's been uh, people have been typing in questions into the Facebook group and I will answer them as soon as we hang up here. So, um, and Jesse, if you're, are you in my uh, virtual lease options challenge Facebook group? I don't, I don't know. I got to take a peek. I'm not sure if you I'll invite you if you aren't. Um, okay. But so you, you, you under, look under this video, you might find some questions in there in that, in that Facebook post cool. that you can answer. Hey, thank you guys very much. Thank you. If you're watching this in the Facebook group or if you're listening to this on the podcast, we appreciate you guys. Go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes. Realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes. And if you want that 33-point checklist, which I really recommend, go to reimpodcast.com slash jesse, J-E-S-S-E. We'll see you guys later. Thanks a lot. Yep. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, you guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jesse. Bye-bye.